Those are two qualities that uh, we all struggle with. How many people do you know that you would describe as moldable and pliable? The truth is, we all are. And God is using the circumstances of our lives to mold us and to make us into what he has in mind, the, the image of, of Jesus. And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny when you look at this video. He, he just gets a, a lump of clay. And you have no idea where it's going from there, but the potter does. And when I think of, of that illustration in terms of, you know, that's my relationship with God. It's so comforting to me because I know that, man, I am uh, about as, as useful as a lump of clay on my own. But, uh, you know, praise the Lord. He sees the end from the beginning. He knows where he's going. And so uh, there's hope. Life is filled with, with boundaries and things that are left uh, alone at best, you know, so the best left alone. And uh, I am one of those people who didn't always take what I was told and, and warned about at face value. I, I had to find things out the hard way a lot of times. Even as a kid, uh, you know, I was the one who always had to, to figure things out in the school of hard knocks, which, you know, involves not listening to, to the warnings my parents and other people had, had given me and just figuring out through my own experiences that my parents and the people who had warned me were, were right all along. Yeah, I, I, you know, in, in retrospect, it's like, I, I agree with you. But I didn't agree with them at first. It was like I had to figure things out. I had to go through these life lessons on my own and figure out how true they were. And, you know, these days we're doing a lot to warn our kids about uh, things like what they post to their Facebook and their, their Twitter accounts. Because we know, uh, we know that once something is on the Internet, you can't control it. You don't know where it's going to go, whose hands it's going to fall into, where it might end up, or how it might come back to bite them sometime in the future. But does that stop them? Most of the time it might, but, you know, uh, a lot of the time it does not. Uh, it was Helen Keller who once said, quote, Life is a succession of lessons which must be lived to be understood. Man, how true is that? You know, as we grow older, we grow wiser, and we start to see uh, lessons in life, in many aspects of life that we had may maybe never even considered before. And as we continue our study in the book of Philippians today, we're going to see that, uh, that like Helen Keller, uh, Paul viewed life as a succession of lessons, things where he was learning and moving on, learning and moving on. And it's a wonderful thing to realize that God deals with each one of us individually. We're not robots, and he knows it. He doesn't treat us all exactly the same, put us all exactly through the same course, the same things in life, the same trials in life. He deals with each one of us individually because we're all unique, just like everybody else, right? Uh, so we go... You know, through this journey of growing in, in Christ's likeness, uh, but each of us will face different trials, different obstacles, different temptations along the way. And, you know, we'll all have our, our moments of victory, but we'll also all have our moments of failure as well. I, I, I can guarantee you I've had a ton of my own. Uh, I know that you've had your own as well. Uh, but the more life experience we have with these moments of failure, 
the more we have to come to see those moments as life lessons, valuable life lessons. If nothing else, those moments of failure teach us not to put any confidence at all in the flesh, which is what Paul has warned, specifically warned us about. He instructed us not to put any confidence in the flesh back in chapter 3, verse 3 uh, here in Philippians. And this is where it might become you know, maybe important to realize that salvation comes in stages. Does anybody remember what the three stages of salvation are? I will offer $5 to anybody who can name all three, aside from my wife. Yeah, I'll take you out to lunch or something, honey. <laughs> anybody? Caleb. Oh, man, I owe my son 15 bucks. But good job, Caleb. Sanctification, glorification... Let me go forwards. Justification, sanctification, glorification. We get confused and discouraged when we, uh, when we don't keep in mind that justification is not the same as sanctification. Justification and sanctific- sanctification are two totally different things. Justification is uh, that moment when we first put our trust in Jesus and we are once and for all declared not, gil- uh, not guilty by God's grace through faith in Christ alone. So justification is when we're saved from the penalty of sin, and that's instantaneous, that's in the past. Sanctification is different. Sanctification is the present process in which we're being saved from the power and the influence of sin in our lives. It's in this process that the Holy Spirit uh, works in us and through us, and he teaches us and he, to, to walk in accordance with the will of God. And our salvation will be complete, of course, uh, when we experience glorification. Uh, That's the moment when we enter into eternity, into the eternal presence of God, forever saved from the presence of sin. So justification is being saved from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is being saved from the power of sin. And glorification is being saved from the presence of sin. Three stages of salvation. And it's completed when we enter into eternity and and we're glorified uh, before Christ Jesus, when we see him as he truly is, and therefore we will become like him. Uh, In the meantime... Between right now and, and that day, until that glorious day, we will all have failures, we will all make mistakes, we'll all sin from time to time. And this is where we realize how glorious and majestic the grace of God truly is. The question is, will your failures define you? And will they anchor you to your past? Paul's told us that he has surrendered everything, counting it worthless in comparison to knowing Jesus and being found in Christ. He told us that he suffered the loss of all things in order that he could gain Christ, in order that he could be found in Christ, in order that he could know Christ and the power of the resurrection, and in order that he could experience the resurrection from the dead one day. But we saw that this uh, wasn't the attitude that Paul had from the very beginning. From the moment that he converted to Christianity, he didn't have this sold-out attitude where he surrendered everything to Jesus. Rather, he had learned that over time. Over time, and after life lessons, he learned to pursue Jesus wholeheartedly. And it was you know, just one of those lessons that could only be learned through life experience. He was a work in progress, and he knew it. I love the fact that he was so aware that he was a work in progress. Consider what he writes as he continues in verse 12, chapter 3, verse 12 of Philippians. He says, not that I have already obtained this, the pursuit of Christ. That's what he's talking about. He's referring back to what he's just talked about. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, 
but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And what a, what a great comfort verses like this uh, are to me in those moments of failure. We're all a work in progress. We're all like clay in the hands of the potter who's working out all the flaws and the defects as only he can. You know, all those little air bubbles that'll blow up in the kiln, you know, when the, when the pot goes in the kiln. He sees them and he works them out beforehand. He's working through us, uh, getting our defects and our flaws out. But as long as we're still living, he's still working on us. We're not perfect yet. And despite his incredible passion for pursuing Jesus full steam ahead, Paul's acknowledging here that he still has struggles. He still has moments of failure. He still makes a mess of things sometimes. And yet, he still has the confidence and the assurance of belonging to Jesus. And the truth is that no matter how passionate we are about Jesus, you can be totally passionate about Jesus. No matter how wholeheartedly we're pursuing after him, our passionate intentions do not render us perfect. It goes without saying that this is a major contrast when you compare uh, what he said about himself when he was in the flesh. He told us back in verse 6 here in Philippians chapter 3 that as far as the law goes, he was perfect. He said he was blameless under the law. That was the word he used, blameless. But here he is saying, I'm, I'm a far cry from perfection. I, I, I'm not perfect at all. And this is, this is one of those things that's just a great work of the Holy Spirit in, in the believer's life. He makes us aware of how far we are from the goal, but at the same time, he gives us the strength and the motivation to continue making progress. You see, the more mature a Christian is, the more grown up they are in their, their faith in Jesus, the more aware they are of their faults and failures. But the mature Christian will know that nevertheless, despite those failures, despite the shortcomings, they belong to Jesus. Because Jesus has taken the initiative of making us his own. So what I'm going to start out by, uh, with today is challenging you today to see your faults and your failures in light of what Paul has written here. He knows he's not perfect. Nevertheless, he knows with just as much confidence that he still belongs to Jesus. So that's my first challenge. See your failures in light of this verse. See, there are right ways and there are wrong ways to deal with our struggles. One of the worst things a person can do, obviously, is just refuse to acknowledge that there's even a problem. Refuse to acknowledge that there's a struggle against sin that they're facing. But it's just as bad, maybe worse, but at least just as bad to acknowledge the struggle and to allow it to keep us anchored down to our past failures. See, the truth is, we can, we're all called to serve, but we have a lot of buts. We all have our buts, right? Let me explain. Maybe you feel like God is calling you to do something. Maybe you feel like he's calling you to serve in some way. You know he's drawing you closer to himself at all times, and maybe you want to, but you don't think you're ready. So you think, you know, I, I would, but I've messed up so badly in the past. And so you might say that the central message of our passage today is to move forward and grow in our faith, no matter what your but might be. 
No ifs, ands, or buts. So it's also wrong to try to take the tackle on, or try to take the struggle on by ourselves. Try to tackle the struggle by ourselves. Uh, as if we're able to overcome it in the flesh, on our, on our own strength. Do not place that much confidence in the flesh. Place no confidence in the flesh. The right way to deal with our struggles, to face the struggles that we face, our, our, our failures, our sins, our, our temptations, is to look to Jesus and to see ourselves, our, our warts, our flaws, our defects, our failures, all of that, in light of the fact that Jesus has already made us his own. Remember what we looked at last week in Romans chapter 8. Those whom he justifies, he glorifies. But there's a process in between there. Sanctification. Sanctification. And he's going to see us through because everybody who gets, to the start, who gets past the starting point, everybody who's justified, will be glorified. The work of redemption was done by Jesus. You know, we, we come into life as, as weak and broken people. We're in a fallen world, a sinful world. And even after we come to Jesus, we experience the reality of this weakness and brokenness in our lives. And it persists through life. The process of sanctification, in which we're, we're being saved from the power uh, and the influence of sin, doesn't come by practicing moralism, uh, it doesn't come through behavior modification. You know, those things are great, but it doesn't change the heart. It comes by looking to and pursuing Jesus more and more and more, pressing on in our wholehearted pursuit of him. Uh, Paul wrote this to the Corinthians. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and we all are being transformed into the same image. We all, we, all Christians, all people who have trusted in Jesus are, and are now justified, being sanctified. We are all being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So what Paul's saying there is that all of the redeemed, all of the people who have trusted in Jesus and been justified by faith are being transformed into the same image, into the image of Jesus, no matter where we might be in that process. We're all in different stages. If you think of it in terms of, uh, you know, maybe an elevator inside of a skyscraper, I think this, uh, this kind of makes sense. When you walk into the lobby of, say, the Empire State Building, you have several elevators that you can choose from to go into. Um, and so, uh, by the way, there are uh, 80, uh, 73 elevators in the, the Empire State Building. Uh, so imagine that that represents, when you step into the elevator, that represents the moment you first trusted in Jesus and repented, and you were therefore in Christ. You were justified. And so when you got into the elevator, you can be sure that some people are closer to the top than you are. There are lots of elevators, and they're all at different levels at different times at any given moment. And that's like us. We're all headed to the same place, the same destination, the same image, no matter how high up or low down we might be at any given moment. And sometimes we're going up and sometimes we are going down. But eventually we're all going to end up at the top. So it's not a perfect illustration, but it, it works, I think. But the reason that we continue to pursue Jesus above all things, above anything that this world has to offer, pressing on despite, of, despite our failures, is because he always has more than enough grace to see us through even our deepest, uh, our deepest faults and failures. His mercies are new every morning. He's more than sufficient to bring us through every situation and ultimately to bring us to himself because he's already made us his own. That's what justification is. 
And it's in this process of pressing on that we realize that this is truly a relationship that we have with Jesus. A relationship, by definition, requires two people who are actively engaged in building a bond between the two of them. And so in our walk with Jesus, he took the initiative, making us his own, and we press on. We press on pursuing him with more and more determination. That's what makes it a relationship. And so press on. Press on and and continue to press on. And don't let yourself be held back from pressing on in pursuing Jesus. Don't be held back by guilt. Don't be held back by, by apathy or complacency. And don't let the reality of your imperfections discourage you. Rather, continue, intentionally continue taking steps to know and grow in Jesus. The decision that Paul made and that we must make to count everything as rubbish in comparison to gaining Christ, that was only the beginning of what has to be a daily commitment to pressing on and pursuing Jesus above everything else. And this is what the whole Christian life, this is what the whole process of sanctification is all about. Pressing on, getting closer to Jesus, knowing Him and loving Him more deeply, seeing Him as more worthy and more valuable than anything else. And it's in this process that we Grow in his likeness. That's what sanctification, that's the goal of sanctification, to grow in Christ's likeness. And it's in this process that we find that only Jesus truly, truly satisfies. And because Jesus is the only source of true satisfaction, only he is worthy. Only he is worthy of wholehearted pursuit. And so just for good measure, Paul continues with this train of thought, telling us what it will take for us to successfully press on. And so he writes in verses 13 and 14, Brothers, I I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now as Paul writes this, it's almost like he's aware of the fact that somebody might look at him and say, Paul, you're, you're, the, you're the godliest guy I've ever met. I, I think you, you might be exaggerating just a little bit. What, I know you're trying to be humble and everything, but really, I mean, you're, you're pretty close to perfect. If, I mean, if you're not perfect, I don't know who is. And he knows that somebody might not completely buy the fact that he isn't convinced that he's perfect. And so he reiterates, and it's almost like he comes up and he puts his hand on their shoulder and he looks them in the eyes and he says, no, I, I'm being sincere. I, I know that I am nowhere near being perfect. But he's not letting that hold him back from pressing on in Christ. So notice the parallel between verses 11 and 12. In verse 11, he says, Christ Jesus has made me his own. And here in verse 12, he says of his imperfections, I do not consider, it that, uh, I do not consider that I have made it my own. You know, he knows. So the key to pressing on and, and growing closer to Jesus is forgetting what lies behind. Now, this is probably a good time to make a clarification because sometimes it's good to remember. Uh, he's, he's not saying uh, have nothing at all to do with anything in your past. I mean, sometimes it is good to remember. Sometimes it's bad to remember. Sometimes God wants us to remember, and sometimes he doesn't. For example, God told the Israelites uh, you know, to, to celebrate the Passover every year. Why? To remember. To remember the way that God had delivered uh, their people 
from slavery to the Egyptians. And yet here in this passage in Philippians, Paul's saying, forget the past. Forget the past. So what makes the difference? What, what, what things should we remember about the past? And what things should we forget about the past? In a nutshell, I think the answer is as simple as saying that we should remember the things that draw us closer to God, the milestones in our faith, walk, and our journey. Uh, and we should forget the things that unnecessarily make us feel shame and which draw us back to the past, thereby stifling our spiritual growth. So with this in mind, we have to understand that the key to, to pressing on and grow, growing closer to Jesus is forgetting the things from the past that anchor us and weigh us down in the sense that we can't release this lingering guilt and shame that it's caused in us. It means letting go of the faults, the shortcomings, the moral failures, and trading them in for grace. You've already got the grace. God has forgiven you. So you've got to forgive yourself too. And this is a place where we need to understand uh, also the difference between guilt and shame. We feel guilt when we do something bad. Paul's already revealed that he's less than perfect, which means, guess what? Sometimes he does bad things. Sometimes he slips into sin. But Christianity has the one and only answer for that. Our debt has been paid in full in the atoning death of Jesus. And so our guilt was all cast on him. It doesn't remain on our shoulders. It's not ours anymore. The guilt for our sin was cast onto Jesus, and he took it so far away, we can never claim ownership of it again. The psalmist wrote, as far as east is from the west, so far he removed our transgressions from us. Here's a question for you. How far is east from the west? It's infinity. It's an infinite span. There, there's no point when you, you cross over this, oh, uh, let's see, the west just became east because now I'm on the other side of it. It's never like that. East, west, infinite distance. And so what keeps us, what prevents us from moving forward in our walk with Jesus? A sense of shame. Guilt is when we do something bad. Shame is when we feel like we are bad. Like we are bad. Shame is when we feel like our badness, our sin, our mistakes, our moral failures, those are the things that define us. And thus we feel like we ourselves are bad. That's our identity. But when we look to the cross, we see the love of a Savior named Jesus whose righteousness was imputed to us. It was transferred to us. And it's the righteousness of Christ that defines us now. It's not just central to our identity. It is our identity. We are in Christ. We are covered by his righteousness. And so there's no place in the life of the Christian for lingering shame. Let's say that you had a backpack that you wore every place you went. And every time you fell short, you had to put a five-pound weight in there. How long do you think it would be before you couldn't move forward anymore? How long do you think it would be before that backpack absolutely crushed you? I mean, there are days when I think I'd probably be lucky to last 10 minutes, if I'm being honest. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty strong guy. Uh, but by God's grace, by God's grace, Jesus invites us to drop the backpack and to put it on him because he knows that it'll crush us that it will stifle our growth, that it will slow us down, if not prevent us entirely, from pursuing Jesus with all of our heart, 
soul, mind, and strength. And that's why David wrote, Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Psalm chapter 51, uh, verse 7. And we've all heard the song. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. But the truth is, the, the psalm is saying that Jesus has washed us whiter than snow. And what he's basically saying is Jesus has rendered us more cleansed and more pure through his work on Calvary than we could possibly understand. The fact that we're able to, to dwell on bad experiences, on failures, on, on memories, and experience a sense of prolonged and, and lingering shame is one of those things that sets us apart from the animal kingdom. Animals don't remember uh, you know, something that happened to them, you know, a conversation that they had with somebody you know, 30 years ago. The only time they experience emotion is when something related to an action uh, has trained them to feel things like fear and, and happiness. Human beings, on the other hand, man, we can dwell on stuff. We can dwell on our failures and our mistakes and our, our mess-ups, our sins, all day long. We can dwell on them for months. We can dwell on them for years. There are people who spend a lifetime dwelling on failures from years and years ago. Think about this from Paul's perspective. You know, he, he had persecuted the people that Jesus had died to redeem with his own blood. And thus Paul considered himself to be the chief of sinners. The fact that he was responsible for the death and the persecution of, of Christians very easily could have stuck with him and haunted him for the rest of his life. He, he could have been held back by those things, saying, man, I, I, just, I don't deserve the privilege of serving God because of the things that I did. Uh, I, I killed people. I, I should be, under, under the Mosaic law, I should be killed. I should be stoned. He knew that. And so he had to make a conscious decision to forget the past. To, to forget about those things that would stifle his growth with Jesus. Those things could have haunted him for the rest of his life, but only if he allowed it to. And like Paul, you know, there are some moments in my lifetime that I could, you know, when I look back on them sometimes, it, you know, I can say, wow, you know, I, I, was, really, uh, I was really a jerk. I, I really messed up. You know, I've made some mistakes in my life that just make me cringe if I take the time to think about them. And, for, you know, from time to time, I still do things that make me cringe to think about them. But those things don't define who I am anymore. So the real question is this. Would I do the same thing today if I were put in the same set of circumstances? Kind of like that movie Groundhog's Day, you know, where he has to do it over and over and over again until he gets it perfect. If you got another chance, would you do the same thing? Would you mess up again? That's the real question. The same principle goes for all of us. We learn from the past, but we have to live in the present. And the burden of the past can be spiritually paralyzing if we're not careful. So release the guilt, release the shame that you, you, know, that you feel for the mistakes and the sins and the failures that you've had in the past. Would you do things differently today? That's what you really need to ask yourself. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 instructs us, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now let's just be honest. It's pretty difficult, if not impossible, to approach the throne of grace with confidence 
if we're feeling like we're tied down and anchored to our past by guilt and shame. So you've got to release that. You see, if there's one thing that's maybe just as bad as sinning, it's refusing to release our sense of, of shame and, and, and guilt and thus miss opportunities that God is putting right in front of us right now. And we're saying, you know, I'm not worthy. I can't serve God so I, you know, because I messed up, so, so I'm, I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to move forward. I'm not going to you know, do what God is calling me to do. And I'm not trying to sound like Dr. Phil or you know, some pop psychology nut or anything like that, uh, but there comes a time when we really do have to forgive ourselves and release our sense of guilt and shame. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, quote, I think that if God forgives us, we must forgive ourselves. Otherwise, it is almost like setting up ourselves as a higher tribunal than him. So if God forgives us, who are we to say, you know, well, God, you know, you might forgive me, but I demand penance from myself. I'm really going to pay for this sin. I have higher demands for justice than God does before I let this go. And, And it sounds kind of funny, but it's a serious struggle for some people. It really is. It's a serious struggle for some people. It keeps some people anchored to their past and it causes them to miss the opportunities that God is putting in front of you right now, today. You know, several years ago, there was a, um, there was a commercial by Nike. Uh, some of you probably remember it. And, uh, you know, it starts out with uh, an athlete saying, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost five, uh, 300 games. 26 times I was trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed I have failed over and over again in my life. And that's why I succeed. Anybody know who that is? Jordan. Yeah, you guys remember. It was Michael Jordan who uh, is, by the way, of course, hands down the greatest basketball player ever. Um, You know, I I remember watching Jordan when he was an active player. Uh, You you all remember when when he retired for a little bit. His dad uh, was murdered, and so he stepped away from the game for uh, about a year and a half, almost two years. Uh, And and so we we all remember that. But did you watch the game when he came back against the Pacers? You know, it was one of the most watched games in history when he came back, and everybody is expecting Jordan to come back as Jordan. And lo and behold, he starts off the game by missing five or ten shots. And, uh, you know, at the time, I, I didn't know a whole lot about basketball, honestly. I, I just liked watching Michael Jordan. But I remember sitting there thinking, why doesn't he pass? He can't make his shots. Why, why doesn't he pass? He's obviously not on today, but he kept shooting and shooting and shooting. Why? Because he wasn't dwelling on the missed shots. He was moving forward, doing what he knew how to do and did better than anybody else. And that's a perfect illustration of what Paul's encouraging us to do. Don't stop taking shots. Don't pass on the opportunities that God's putting in front of you today. Keep striving forward. You know, each one of us has done things that we might be tempted to feel shame for. And every one of us has to live in this tension between who we are and who we, we, we want to be. You know, we, we want to be more like Jesus, and, and there's this gap in between. We live somewhere, we strive for something in between there. So there's this tension that we have to live in. And so we, we have to learn from the past, but we have to live in the present as we look to the future. We all have to intentionally prevent the past from being an obstacle to the future, to our growth. 
That means being aware of who we are now, but also being aware of who we want to be and pressing on, straining forward toward that goal. And I love that Paul uses a metaphor uh, of a race here. Uh, He's pressing toward the goal for the prize. Uh, With the imagery that that Paul gives here, it kind of reminds me of um, a, a famous uh, running lesson, I guess, that I got from a famous running movie, Chariots of Fire. Don't look back. Don't look back. It slows you down. See, when we forget the past, it gives us the freedom to strive for the future with the pursuit of Jesus as the one thing that we're focused on doing. That's the prize. That's the prize. Pursuing Jesus is the prize. A closer sense of fellowship and union with Jesus is the prize. Think of it this way. Um, What's the reward for a a long-lasting, healthy, loving marriage? That's the reward. That marriage is the reward for years of working to make it a long-lasting, healthy relationship. That in itself is the reward. And it's the same with Jesus. We pursue, we pursue a, a closer walk with him, a deeper love for him, because a closer walk with him and a deeper love for him are the most rewarding things that exist. And of course, that all culminates with the call to heaven. We, we go to heaven, we stand before Jesus. He makes us like himself. What an awesome reward, but the reward is also here and now. The reward of pursuing Jesus is pursuing Jesus. So let's remember what Paul was writing to a church that was on, uh, he's writing to a church that was on the verge of division. We've got two people who are, who are splitting up sides. And Paul was well aware of the fact that both of the feuding leaders in the Philippian church would be considered, for all intents and purposes, to be mature believers. And so now he's going to kind of throw down the gauntlet and issue them a challenge uh, to put this principle of pressing on into the pursuit of, uh, of Jesus into action. So he continues in verses 15 and 16. He says, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now it's interesting that Paul refers to himself and the people that he's writing to as mature here. Uh, he, He undoubtedly was. But the Greek root word that gets translated as mature is the same root word for perfect, which he's already said he's not. He's already insisted he's not perfect. And so this appears to be maybe a contradiction, but it's not. See, we need to understand that he had turned the entire concept of perfectionism upside down. And so what we see then is that Christian maturity is, is kind of a paradox. That is, it takes some serious maturity to realize that we're not perfect, and thus to continue pursuing Christ, pressing on, pursuing Him wholeheartedly, knowing that He has already made us perfect in God's eyes. That's maturity in the Christian life. So what Paul's doing here is encouraging his readers to put his exhortation to be like-minded into action. Remember, that's what he told them back in chapter 2, verse 2. And that requires a steadfast commitment to radical, radical humility, serious humility. But notice what Paul says next. He says, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. In other words, if you don't believe me, God will deal with you and he'll show you the truth. What an amazing 
sense of confidence Paul had in the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of his fellow Christians. How often do we do that? We say, you know, I, I know that you disagree with me, but I'm just going to trust that you know, the Lord's going to reveal to you or to me that one of us is wrong. Wow. He, he's not asking them to take his word for it, you know, just because he's Paul, the apostle, and he said so. He, he knows that they might not agree with him, but he leaves any remaining convincing that they may have needed in God's hands. He knew that God would reveal the truth to them if they would simply keep themselves humble enough to have an open mind about it. And so Paul concludes this passage by instructing his readers to hold true, hold true to what we have attained. Now the term hold true uh, literally means stay in line. That wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to us in English. Stay in line. Well, what does that mean? It's a military term. If you've ever watched um, you know, a military march. Anybody like watching military marches? Yeah, Maddie, you do? Why do you like watching it? I mean, it's neat to see like 500, 1,000 soldiers, you know, more than that maybe, you know, three or 4,000 soldiers all doing the exact same thing. It's like, uh, it's like a dance, a very uh, intricately choreographed dance almost. Uh, so it's amazing to watch how perfectly lined up uh, and in sync they are with one another. And that's essentially what Paul is encouraging the Philippians to do. When he says, hold true, he's basically saying, stay in line. Uh, stay with each other, in a sense. I mean, what would you think of a military lineup where, uh, you know, everybody was kind of just standing wherever they wanted to stand, and some were slouching over, some were standing upright, some were watching butterflies, oh, squirrel, you know, uh, off in the distance, uh, you know, what would you think of a military like that? Would you be intimidated by them? Would you think that they had any sort of unity and would you fear them? No. They don't, they don't know how to work together. So you, you, of course you wouldn't fear them. You, you wouldn't respect them. You wouldn't see any sense of unity among them. So rather than everybody marching to the beat of their own drummer and doing their own thing, Paul is instructing them to stay in formation. Remain lined up. In other words, what he's saying is stick together. And see one another through all of these challenges that you're facing. Do not step out of line. Do not part company with everybody else. Rather, stay lined up. Stay lined up. See, we're all in different stages of pursuing Christ, different stages of sanctification. Some of you may have just recently begun. Some of you may have been pursuing Christ for more than 50 years, and every one of us has the same orders. Be faithful to what you know is true, and continue to grow in your learning and your striving toward Jesus. You know, that's one of the things I'm so encouraged by guys like Chuck Swindoll uh, about. You know, he, he totally encourages me because here he is, uh, you know, somewhere around 80 years old, and he is still tr- forcing himself to learn, still trying to, to grow closer to Jesus. And you look at somebody like Chuck Swindoll, and you're like, wow, this guy, you know, he's got this radio broadcast that he's had for almost, you know, 40 years now. And you, you think, wow, you know, he, he's got it all figured out. And he's saying, no, I don't. I got to press on. So, to his dying breath, he's going to be pressing on. So, 
Be faithful to what you know. Continue growing closer to Jesus. The fact that we lack perfection and complete knowledge of everything theological is not an excuse for not putting what we do know into action. When Jonathan Edwards, the great Reformed preacher, the guy who wrote Sinners in the Hands, of an angry God. Uh, when, when he was um, 17 years old, he sat down and he wrote out 21 resolutions that he had made for his life. And he would constantly revisit this list and added, uh, he would add resolutions as he saw that they were necessary. By the time he died, he'd written out a total of 70 resolutions for his life. And not only that, but it seems that he may have prioritized them as well because the number one resolution at the top of this list said this, Quote, being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions. So remember to read over these resolutions once a week. That was number one. And so throughout his life, he had these, these weekly checkups uh, on himself, self-checks, and he would regularly record his progress and areas in which he sought further help from the Lord. He knew he was a work in progress. Throughout his whole life, he was a work in progress. And we're the same. We're all a work in progress. We're like clay, a lump of clay in the hands of a potter who knows and loves his work. We are all on this journey of learning to become more and more like Jesus. We're being saved from the power of, and the influence of sin. Becoming more like Jesus. That, that's the goal that we're all running toward. And if you've grown tired, I would just encourage you to press on and strive forward to the future, taking steps to grow closer to Jesus. And maybe that means journaling and, uh, and writing out a you know, list of resolutions like Jonathan Edwards did. Maybe it means joining one of our small groups. Maybe it means just learning to leave your baggage, your, your mistakes uh, in the past, uh, right there in the past. Wherever you may be on this journey called sanctification, know that the reward for pursuing Jesus wholeheartedly just gets sweeter and sweeter the more you do it, the longer you do it. You know, sometimes I, I'll tell my wife, I can't wait to get old with you. And I, I mean that. I, I can't wait to get old with her. But likewise, I can't wait to someday be able to look back on 50 or 60, or maybe even 70 years of pursuing Jesus someday, Lord, Lord willing. His grace has blotted out our mistakes. His grace has given us the freedom to pursue Jesus with reckless abandon. So don't ever let your failures anchor you to your past. And don't ever let your failures anchor your identity or define your identity. Only God's amazing grace can free us to truly learn from the past without lingering in the past, to live in the present while looking forward to a future of eternal bliss in the presence of the Savior. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for redeeming us. We thank you that by your blood we can experience redemption in you. We thank you, Lord, that you have set us free from the, the penalty of sin. And we know, Lord, that right now we're in the process 
of learning to get away and to be freed from the influence of sin in our lives. And Lord, many of us get tired, we get worn down, we get so tired of messing up that we feel like we can't move forward. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us a sense of freedom from that shame. Give us the assurance, Lord, that we are forgiven in you so that we don't have to linger in the past, Lord, but we can move forward into the future, pursuing you, learning to pursue you more wholeheartedly than we ever have before. We thank you, Lord, that it's only possible by your grace. And we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. We know, Lord, that without your grace, every single one of us would surely fall away. We know that your grace sustains us. It finds us in the valleys, it finds us in the storms, and it sees us through. And so we ask, Lord, that you would give us, by your Holy Spirit, the strength to press on in knowing you and learning to love you more and more, living for you alone. For your glory, and it's in your name we pray. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us, and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today. And keep growing closer to Jesus. Take me deeper.